Hey guys, Daniel here, breaking the fourth wall. This is not a part of the podcast officially. I just wanted to say right off the bat, thank you so much for your listenership. It means the world. Uh, and also, I wanted to let you know that this podcast will hopefully be consistently uploaded on the 10th of every month. That's the goal. Also, in this episode, I take the mick out of people going to concerts and use hyperbole quite a bit. So I wanted to clarify now more than ever that going to concerts, especially local ones, is really worthwhile, not only for enjoying and partaking in the culture of Dublin today, but also to encourage and support creators who are putting themselves out there. So go to concerts, go to your friends' gigs, listen to excellent Irish artists like F.A., Alex Tierney, Aoife McGrath, Sarah Crean, The Sykes, Doris and the Oats, and Morkhouse. Support people, go to see bands you like, and don't take anything I say literally ever. Okay, on with the pod. You're on a plane with the love of your life. You're charmed by her wit, enchanted by her beauty, and struck by the incandescent light emanating from her smile. You look forward to reaching your destination, but you're remarkably present here, right now, hand in hand with your betrothed as you recite tales of your courtship to each other in the language of love. Everything is splendid, all is well, until you hit a bout of turbulence. Ladies and gentlemen, we're experiencing You see her beginning to panic, uh, and desperate to keep your beloved in this state of bliss, you start asking her a series of arbitrary questions to distract her from the fear of imminent danger. What's your favourite Star Trek Voyager two-part episode? You blurt out. What's the most underrated Bob Dylan bootleg album? You realise that she had a more active social life when she was younger than you did, and is unable to answer these questions in esoterica. Your mind runs at speeds your provider would charge you extra for, as you finally think of the most perfect query to raise. You finally get it. It's not a complicated one. It's a general observation. The perfect question. You squeeze her knee and flash her a smile that suggests everything will be alright as you lean in and ask her, What's the deal with airline food? Part 1. Starting a mosh pit. Have you ever been in a mosh pit at a concert? I don't want to give you a false expectation of what the experience is like, but it is euphoria in profundity, an extreme sense of visceral elation as your whole body is thrown into a chaotic cluster of flailing limbs and screaming faces. You suddenly become enraptured in an all-encompassing circle of mayhem, pandemonium and disorder as certain members of the audience attempt to match the same speed and intensity as the devastating shredding of the lead guitarist's Fender Jazzmaster. You become part of a sweaty male rebellion as the wall of reverberated guitar noise creates a thick palpable layer of metaphysical density that all those in the pit try to break through with curled fists, veined necks and bouts of kicking. In total, the experience is really full on, and an integral part of the process is the guy who instigates this madness, the first lad brave enough to act completely insane, jumping around wildly to inspire others to do the same. Can you imagine how embarrassing it would be if you tried to do this and it didn't work? A few months ago, myself and a few friends went to a local Dublin gig. 
It was the usual suspects for a lad's night out. My mate Tresner Cornwall Gorman, a student engineer from Sandymount. My other friend, Jordan McDonald's, a part-time barber from Clondalkin. And finally, one of my creative pals from NCID, who prefers to be called the artist formerly known as Rosacea. It was about to be the night of nights, cruising down the O'Connell Strip as we geared up for a night of tunes, laughs and serious domage. We were en route to see our favourite new act in the Dublin creative scene, a hard rock goth noise trio called The Way She Looked At Me Was Never Enough. Do you not think their name is a bit loquacious? Surely a shorter name for a band would be more suitable, said Jordan McDonalds, ever the keen observer and sharp commentator. What do you want about, bro? Their name is Kick-Ass. Don't you forget my little brother Alistair is the bassist, so any slagging of the band will be met by my zero-tolerance policy, I'm afraid, replied Tresner, in terse, reiterating the fact that he was the easily angered one of the bunch. Boys, are we approaching the venue? I'm afraid I desperately need to use the little artist's room. Hee-hee-hee-hee-hee, <laughs> said the artist formerly known as Rosacea, readjusting his knitted kilt in discomfort. He was speaking through a phantom of the opera mask, and a handkerchief with the pattern of the Colombian flag under it, making him very hard to understand, while also creating a very confusing political message. Listen, Rosacea, no one appreciates the arts more than I do. Like, I actually went to see Ant-Man and the Wasp five times in the cinema, but I really don't get the message behind what you're wearing. It's not supposed to be obvious, Tresner. It's an esoteric geopolitical metaphor in support of the current Colombian president, Gustavo Petro. You get it, don't you, Daniel? Yeah, of course I do. Guys, we need to hurry up. We're late enough as it is, I said, finally. I was so excited to mosh. It was the only thing I had on my calendar that month, besides my bi-weekly pedicure and my post-BBL progress appointment. That BBL really does wonders for your keister, Daniel. I'd almost be interested in the back of you if you promised not to turn around or say anything. Thanks, Tresner, I replied, biting my tongue. It was supposed to be a subtle job just to accentuate my derriere, but the doctor went overboard and gave me a diabolical dumpy, an absolute buxom bunda that caught the unwanted eye of many a stray admirer. I pushed my annoyance to the back of my mind and focused on all I had to look forward to. Soon enough, I would be in the pit, being hurled against a barrier of like-minded, sweaty concertgoers, tapping into our inner beasts amid this stereomorphic rage ritual. Dan, is this the place? Jordan asked pointing towards the entrance of Fibber McGee's at a line of white people wearing Carhartt and thrifted jackets. Yeah, I said, smiling to myself. This must be the place. One thing you have to remember about going to concerts is that 75% of the experience is bad. You have to line up for ages and talk ad nauseum about how excited you are, wondering aloud about the set list and guessing what encore songs the band will play. Then you finally get into the venue after a two-hour wait and find a place near the stage where you can catch a good glimpse of the band. You don't want to lose this place, naturally, so you hold in all the wee you've had in your system for the last three hours and keep your heavy jacket and full backpack on your person to avoid paying for the coat room and inevitably losing your place. Then you spend one hour waiting, an hour and a half listening to the worst opening band you could have ever imagined, and then get slightly disappointed at how the band you actually came to see avoid playing the songs you came to hear during the main event, all while your brittle knees feel as if they will buckle beneath you and you get beer spilt all over the band merch you paid 300 euro for. Then you eat a bag of chips in the cold, 
wait for the Nightlink bus and wake up the next morning at 7am for the job you hate. Now with a brand new outbreak of acne all over your sweaty forehead and partial deafness. Then you give it a few days and suddenly decide that gig was the best you've ever been to and you spend just as much on the next one. You then repeat this pattern of dissatisfaction for years, either until you see a band or artist so good that they break the cycle or you give up and find God. Uh, I wonder if they're going to play I Stopped You From Smiling from their album Death and All Her Lovers. I remember when my little brother Alistair laid down the track for that song the first time in the stew. I actually gave him the idea for the music myself. Uh, the tune is based on the frequency of one of my protein bar farts, said Tresner emphatically. Silence, Tresner. Your irreverence bores me. I'm going to go and get locked and then see if any of these strapping boys want to dance with me. <laughs> the artist, formerly known as Rosacea, responded as he slinked away on the prowl, his long crimson cape draped behind him on the sticky orchard thieves-soaked floor. I watched as he spotted some lads who used to bully us when we were younger, and he walked back, reluctant and defeated. I recognise so many people here, Daniel. I think they all went to the same school as us. Do you think I've had my glow up yet? I want everyone to know that I'm a main character in his villain era and that I didn't peak in sixth year. I know, the artist formerly known as Rosacea. And you're right. Those lads made fun of us in the computer rooms every Wednesday for not smoking menthol, using words with more than two syllables, and for not taking the oath of racism. I didn't realise that so many fans of this band were NPCs. I expected the crowd to be a lot more alt. I think this lowers the value of their art in some way. Although the artist was speaking reductively, there was truth to his point. It's always a confusing feeling when you go to see a band you love and notice the audience is filled with your former tormentors. It makes the experience so incongruous because you are simultaneously listening to the music that got you through your painful adolescence with many of the bullies who were the instigators of the pain itself. It's like celebrating your country's newly formed independence alongside your former dictators disguised as Sandinistas. But however painful that reality was, I decided to not let it ruin my enjoyment of the concert. Sometime later, after getting through the less than stellar opening act, the band members of The Way She Looked At Me Was Never Enough slowly came on stage in drips and drabs. The frontman followed, nonchalantly, holding a pint of Guinness which made everyone think he was a legend for some reason. Oh wow, everyone around me seemed to say. I can't believe he's drinking Guinness. That's so cool because that's something a normal person would do and he's basically a deity. Then the band picked up their instruments and began to play their flagship hit song The Hairline Crack on Your Porcelain Face. The crowd recognised it from the very first few chords and I could feel the energy building from the back of the building to the front of the stage in an offering of gratitude for the sweeping sensation of nostalgia the audience was experiencing. I closed my eyes and planned my next step. I was about to create the biggest mosh pit this city had ever seen. The song continued to play. The guitar solo was in full swing, and the energy was building in the room. I saw my opportunity, and I took it. I grabbed Jordan, as he was the closest to me, and started wildly throwing him around, grabbing him violently, and jumping in the air to start a trend. Jordan looked terrified. I could tell immediately that he was the wrong person to do this with, 
I let him go and started signaling to the people around me to make room for a pit to mosh in. And that's when it hit me. Literally no one wanted to mosh. I completely misread the vibe. And after looking around, I saw a solemn circle of still standing figures not moving an inch and all looking at me with mixed emotional expressions of both abject horror and the utmost sympathy. I was so humiliated I wanted to vomit. I couldn't just naturally blend into the crowd and continue enjoying the show again because I had now created a lonely open circle around only myself where I could be observed and studied for psychologists developing a study on the mental ramifications of social shame. I began to gag out of mortification as I heard the whispers of the audience. You just try to start a I've never been so embarrassed for someone in my entire life. So really keep an eye on him. You know, in case he does something stupid after this. I feel an overwhelming urge to slowly leak out of existence. The band continues to play, and yet I have suddenly become the biggest spectacle. I slowly make my way through the crowd towards the back of the room, staring at those who mock me in their eyes, while quietly quoting the Psalms. Why have you forgotten me, O Lord? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Alongside the shattering of my bones, my adversaries revile me, while they say to me all day long, Where is your God? I finally leave the building and gather some respite in the cold air. I look around for Jordan, who fled the scene in terror as soon as I started to mosh. I spotted him in the fetal position, next to the chipper, sucking his thumb. Hey Jordan, I'm really sorry about that. I thought that- You have humiliated me on a level I did not know was possible. You do not understand how much I value my social status. I expected everyone to mosh along with us. I didn't mean to hurt you. you Everything don't... you touch turns to muck. What? You're a clown, Daniel. You're a waste of space. Don't try and apologize. You've done enough. Guys, what's going on here? Lads, we were trying to look all over for you. People said to let you guys know about Pieta House in case you need someone to talk to after all that. I might take that, actually. Bye, guys. Let this be a tale of warning to anyone listening. Do not try and have fun. Don't try and be cool. You have your social standing. Be content with it. Life is a series of giving up on your dreams until you're in a box. The risks are too high. So don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers, the lakes, the ponds, the puddles that you're used to. Part 2, Turning 24 I'm not sure if you guys read about it in the latest copy of Girl Talk magazine, but I'm turning 24 this month. It's safe to say that I'm feeling pretty melancholic about it, which doesn't mean I'm addicted to melons, although my honeydew habit has gotten a bit out of hand recently. Or should I say not out of hand, because my hand is never without a melon, because I'm addicted to them. Anyway, I am no longer a young, dumb, opportunistic teeny bopper anymore. I'm a weathered, old and brittle 24-year-old postgraduate moving back into his parents' house after a brief stint of freedom. I have no idea how to feel about getting older. On one hand, it's exciting to think of my future life goals and aspirations coming to fruition, but some days I feel like a liver-spotted fossil in decay, aging like milk as I wake up to new aches and pains daily as precious time evades me. It's also making me think about what I used all this time for so far. I'd like to say I used all of it well, but in reality, I spent so much time on my hoop eating crisps and checking my phone. 
I also spent like 30% of it asleep, 20% of it on the loo, and 10% trying not to fall asleep on the bus. I think I used the rest wisely, building deep and meaningful relationships with cherished people, trying to be creative, trying to be a good brother, friend, boyfriend, son, trophy wife. I wasn't very good at the last one. But life is about trying things, and I should have been wiser with my decisions at an earlier age. Because of all this, I reached out to Tesco Ireland for a chance to try again. Did you guys know that because of how Tesco has been raising the price of a meal deal by one euro every year, they have actually been making enough money to construct a fully functional travel-tested time machine? Little did we know. What were we all complaining about? Sure, it's a little more for a meal deal these days, and they raised the prices of the fizzy waters to double the original price. But guys, they were using it to make a time machine. They're the good guys. And they're so sound that they didn't even want me to mention what they were planning. Dr. Henry Tesco, the CEO of Tesco Ireland, rang me the other day and told me all about this. How do, Daniel? This is Dr. Henry Tesco. I'm the CEO of Tesco in Ireland, so I am. And I'm after reading your turning 24 this month in the latest issue of Girl Talk. Can I offer you the chance to use our time machine? We have a completely safe time-travelling apparatus made because of how much we charge single-income households for a plate of food. We're not bad guys. We were actually doing this with the money the whole time. Anyway, let us know if you want to use it. Just make sure you tell everyone to come here and spend 20 euro on an avocado. I responded faster than it took me to read the message. Of course, I replied. I would be more than happy to go back, to amend some past failures and to encourage my former self to never try a goatee. I also wanted to find out how I got these two mystery bumps at the back of my head that never seemed to heal. Within hours, I had been contacted by Tesco again and brought to their secret location where I saw the time machine for the first time. It was a tall white booth housing a small self-checkout machine inside. To go back in time, it was simple. All you had to do was find a collection of shopping items that made up the exact price of the number of the year you were travelling back to. I wanted to go back to 2007 when I was but a wee lad. So I scanned a tin of beans, a packet of shortbread biscuits, and a box of Tampax Extra Absorbent, which got me to exactly 20 euro and seven cents. I selected finish purchase, and the whole booth began to shake. Notes are dispensed below the scanner. Please What's happening? Change, especially notes. Oh my god, I'm in my old bedroom. There's my old drawings, my Fantastic Four toys, my signed copy of Democracy Matters by Cornell West. Mom, Dad, someone's in my room. Daniel, don't be afraid. Don't get your parents. It's me. I'm you from the future. What? That's impossible. Mom! No, no, no. Just listen to me, okay? I'm you. I can prove it. Ask me anything you want so I can prove it. Okay. Who's your favorite Ninja Turtle? Donatello, because he's good at computers. My god, it's true. Now, I have so much to tell you about your future. Before I do, what are you reading there? It's my little sister's Mickey Mouse Clubhouse picture book. Have you just been sitting there staring at that picture of Daisy Duck? Give me a break, man. I'm, I'm discovering girls for the first time. That's not a girl. It's a duck. In the future, do you think our love would be understood? If you're asking me if it's legal to assume a relationship with a duck in the future... I'm afraid you're going to be disappointed. Okay. We're wasting time here. Look, I need to tell you this so you remember. In many years from now, you will be tempted to grow a goatee. Don't. You will regret it more than you can ever know. 
What's a goatee? Damn it. I may have gone back too far. You've probably never even heard of YouTube apologies or situationships or being red-pilled. Yeah, I've never heard of any of those things. Man, what a time to be alive. I do have to smack you in the back of the head, though, so you can forget all this. I don't want to accidentally create ripples in time. Wait, before you do, in the future, do we still have the same problem with our foreskin? Ah! Sorry, past me. This had to be done. I'm off to me at age 17. He'll know what a goatee is. Now let me just scan some more items here. Tin of tomatoes. Packet of ham. Some chili-coated peanuts. 20 euro and 16 cents. 2016, here we come. Whoa. I'm not sure where this machine has decided to take me, but it looks like the underground car park in the super value near my house. Oh my god, I think I see myself. I'm eating a family bag of onion rings with my headphones on, writing poetry in my notes app. Ah! Who are you? I don't want to alarm you, but I'm you from the future. I have so much to tell you about, but uh, first just give me a look at that goofy-ass poem you're writing. What? No! Also, you look different. How did you manage to lose all this weight? Just a lot of rice cakes and telling yourself you're not good enough in the mirror. It's honestly really effective. That doesn't sound healthy. King, you're licking the foil of this crisp packet meant for sharing, probably to follow it up with a bag of mint humbugs before you have three portions of the dinner your mum has made for you later. Damn, am I this mean in the future? I'm being hard on myself here. This is completely different. Now show me that poem. Okay then, um, it's about heartbreak, I guess. It's called Watch Me Wilt. I wrote it in the bathroom when I was at a party. Let me see it. Okay. Do you not feel such crippling guilt standing there laughing, watching me wilt? Don't you feel in your cold, dead heart that is locked that our love was murdered before it could start to walk? Do we not get to take part in romance? Are we made to die lonely, to not get a chance? You go your way and I'll try and advance, but the conditions will kill me and I'll die in your hands. Daniel, this is the worst poem I've ever read, and by extension, the worst we've ever written. It came from a real place, man. You probably wrote this after one of the girls who gave you a lend of a pen in geography asked for it back. You don't get it, man. Life is really hard right now. I don't know where I fit in. I have a lot of dread, and all the guys in school make fun of me and keep staring at my curves. Yeah, man, they kind of like you, but they don't want to admit it to themselves. I actually covered that topic in an episode of my podcast. We have a podcast? <laughs> I grew up to be a podcaster. <laughs> oh my god. What do I need to do? What do I need to change? Man, listen to me. Life gets so much better. You continue to learn through failure. You keep the amazing friends you have right now. You fall in love. You expand your mind and your empathy. You live long enough to see KFC introduce a menu item called the Double Down, where the bread and the burger is just like two pieces of fried chicken. Wow. That sounds amazing. <laughs> I want to know all about that. Uh, can I ask if- Daniel, I can't say any more than I have. I want to keep the life I have at the moment. I just have to warn you about one thing. Okay, sure. Go ahead. One day you will get the urge to grow a goatee and spend a year of your life being the biggest freak this side of the greatest showman. You need to hear me on this, man. Don't grow anything. Keep your stubble or shave. Just don't grow the goatee. Well, after everything you've told me, I think I have to grow one. What? You say that our life gets better in the future, that we're content, that we're in a relationship. I think the goatee had something to do with that. 
Maybe it drove my future girlfriend crazy like it was a tractor beam that pulled her in. You're not listening to me. She hated it. But I can't change anything. I, I'm, I'm not supposed to change anything. Daniel, you're hysterical. You need to listen to me. Please, just- I'm growing the goatee! I'm growing the goatee and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> Sorry again, me. I can't let you do that. I hope that helps you forget about me. It was at this stage that I discovered how pointless my endeavour was, and I slowly made my way back to the self-checkout TARDIS and scanned an issue of the Inquirer with a packet of gum to get back to 2023. As I began to leave 2016 behind, I held my head in defeat. I had utterly failed. No matter what I did, I was going to grow that stupid goatee and be untouchable for 536 days of my life. As I held my head, however, I felt those familiar two bumps and laughed to myself. I guess I was responsible for these wounds my whole life after hitting both versions of myself in the past to render them unconscious with temporary amnesia. I felt that the bumps were a metaphor for why tampering with the past was a completely superfluous task. Some moments were necessary, and inevitable intersections that held the fabric of my reality together, and other times were character-building moments required of me to work through in order to create the best and most streamed podcast in all of Lucan. I guess now I'm not so worried about turning 24. Those moments in the shower where you feel crippled by incalculable waves of cringe from your past are important. They guide you into the warm glow of a better day and give you the tools to be less of a muppet as you grow into the you your child self dreamt up. Thanks again for listening, guys. I have a crush on everyone that listens to my podcast. Not really a crush in a romantic or even an attractive way, more just that I really fancy all of your ears, and I absolutely love being inside them. I think about your ears while lying on my bed, kicking my feet up in the air while twirling the telephone cord around my finger. Like my voice and words are so close to your brain right now, and that's insane. Like, if you've listened this far into the podcast, then you have let what I have to say be the thing that takes up the most occupancy in your brain for the last 10 to 15 minutes. What a privilege. Anyway, guys, keep your ears cute, keep your hearts open, and keep your feet on the straight and narrow. Hashtag Coney 2012.